There's always more to learn. And we can sometimes believe that we have come to the precipice, that we have it all, we know it all. Maybe when we were in school, we said, once we finish school, I'm never going to learn another thing. And that's really, yeah, yeah, that didn't work out well for you. Because there's constant learning in this life. We're constantly learning new things. But if we don't open ourselves to the possibility to learn, we will become stunted in our growth. And that will be in our spiritual life, our emotional life, our mental life. And it'll happen in our physical life as well. So we look at this gospel and what's happening is Jesus is on his way to the Passover in Jerusalem. Well, when they were on their way to the Passover, people would line the streets and the towns for all the pilgrims who were coming through and they would line the streets and and wish them well. And so it says there's a sizable crowd because of all these people. And usually as a rabbi would be walking, he would be teaching his disciples. So you can imagine the noise that's kind of happening around and you hear out from the distance somebody cry out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Now, you, your reaction is natural, no? Hey, be quiet. Get that person to be quiet. Get them to be quiet. Why? Because I'm trying to listen to what Jesus has to say, and there's already this background noise. But he cries out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And what happens is interesting, because Jesus stops. Now, the first people who said to be quiet, he then calls and says, go tell them to come here. He doesn't go to the man. He says to the people that told him to be quiet, get, get him over here. Which I don't know if you've ever had this, but you like do something wrong and then you have to go and apologize. It's like that. Because we're learning as we have to apologize. We're learning proper behavior. Yeah. But we're also learning a deeper truth. And this is what they're learning about Jesus. He's not here just to teach. He's here to bring healing. He's here to work miracles. So their understanding of who Jesus is had to expand because they had put him inside of a little box. Not that we've ever done that here in 2021. But we put him in a little box, or they did, and they said, this is who Jesus is. But interesting that he says, son of David, because son of David was a reference to the Messiah. But the Messiah, son of David, was understood to be the political or the military leader. The guy who was going to save them. So he comes up and says, have pity on me. I believe you're the Messiah. Have pity on me. But he uses the title for political or military Messiah. So when Jesus walks up, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. Which means something else. It means that he knew Jesus could offer more than political or military messiahship. He wouldn't have said that. He would have been like, hey, could you like free us from Rome? That would be helpful. But he says, no, he says, I want to see. I want something from you that I don't think a political or military messiah could give to me. I believe something about you that they're not telling me. Right in in, in the first reading today, it says the messiah will come and open the eyes of the blind. So what must Bartimaeus have been doing? Privately, he'd been praying. And in our prayer, God reveals himself to us, yeah? He reveals who he is to us in the silence of our hearts. And this is where we can sometimes get it confused. Sometimes people say, my faith is private. No, 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 no. Your prayer is private. Because what happens between you and him and the intimacy of your heart, nobody else knows. We can pray out loud. We can say things out loud. And you get a glimpse into my prayer. And I get a glimpse into your prayer. 
But the fullness of your prayer is intimate. It's between you and him alone. But my faith is the action that comes forth from that privacy of prayer. My faith is the thing that is lived out. It is the thing that is shown to others, not forced upon them. Let's make that distinction. We're not talking about forcing our faith onto others, but it's the thing that I naturally live out. And as I naturally live it out, people are either dissuaded by it or they're intrigued by it. But notice what Bartimaeus does. He says, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And they say, be quiet. And he cries out all the louder, have pity on me. (coughs) This past week ago, I was in Lourdes, France, where Our Lady appeared in 1858. We've spoken about this before. And I saw faith like I've never seen it or experienced it. And we had two pilgrims with us who had ALS, which Lou Gehrig's disease. And, and I hadn't, I've never really spent time with people with ALS. I learned a lot about ALS. I also learned a lot about those who caretake for people with ALS. And ALS is a degenerative disease, so it takes away your ability to move, but your brain is still functioning totally and perfectly. And so they can only communicate with their eyes. They ever have a little computer screen that they, they, they look at and it taps in the, the, the letter or they have this sheet that has all the letters on it and you just kind of play charades and you, you, you spell out each word. But what I was amazed at was the faith of the families who brought them. First off, to bring their loved ones who has ALS, unable to move, and is on a ventilator, both pilgrims on ventilators, and who have no way to communicate except through their eyes. That takes incredible faith. But the some moment when we were doing adoration in the underground basilica in Lourdes, which is supposed to hold 25, can hold 25,000 people. It's the largest underground basilica. It's massive. But there was probably about 750, maybe 1,000 people when the night that we did adoration. And we went around, and Father Patrick was the other uh, priest that was with me, and he had the monstrance of our, with our Lord, and I was holding on, and there was another priest on the other side holding his garments. And we went to each section, and he blessed each section. And he came to this section, he blessed this section, went to that section, blessed that section, so on and so forth, all the way around. And we came to our section where our pilgrims were. And the two pilgrims that we had were Bob and Donna. And Donna had her husband along with her three children there, three daughters. And when we came up, John said out loud, very loudly, so that perhaps many, if not all people heard, Lord Jesus... If it be your will, heal my wife. I, I got choked up. I got choked up, and I started to ponder those words because I, I understood for a moment the audacity of that husband, the audacity of his faith in front of, a hundred, in front of 700 people, 1,000 people, to say out loud, Lord Jesus, if it be your will, heal my wife. This is what happens in the gospel. Jesus is attracted to audacious faith. People who are not willing to be silenced because other people, it's not the status quo. It's uncommon. Don't do that. Stop making a, ra- ra- a rabble. We don't want to hear it. And yet it's that, that faith that draws Jesus' attention. It's that faith that draws his attention. And I thought, what if we all had just like a a piece of that faith? Just a fraction of that. Because we all have an intimacy, a prayer life with Jesus, but but some of us 
We, we think that that's as far as it goes, that that's as far as my faith is. I pray maybe on our Father, Hail Mary, glory be at the end of the day, and that's it. But there's so much more that he wants to reveal to you because there's more to learn. Think about the people who silenced Bartimaeus. What did they learn? They, they were reprimanded, sure. <laughs> they were like, hey, go, go bring him here. So they went and brought him. Because they thought, well, Jesus is here to teach. And this man is making a, 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 ra- a route, route, what's the word I'm looking for? Rabble rouser. Something like that, right? He's making a, a noise that we don't like. It's uncomfortable for us. It makes us uncomfortable. But faith is the outpouring of the inward expression of our prayer. So it tells us a lot when, when people are saying, I have faith, but I, they don't actually act upon it. And it's no judgment. It's not a judgment. It's just we, we don't hide well if we're saying that we're believers in God, we don't hide well the fact that we believe, we don't really believe in him. So what are we getting to? Well, what happens at the end is he takes courage, he gets up. They call the blind man and say, take courage and get up, which is interesting because he didn't need courage. He already had courage. He was the one crying out. Remember when everybody else was telling him to be quiet? He was the one crying out. He didn't need courage, but now they feel uncomfortable. So they say, hey, take courage because actually we're the ones who need courage because we're being, kind of being reprimanded here. He's calling you. So he goes up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want from me? He says, I want to see. And he says, go, your faith has saved you. And immediately the man began to see. And from that, it says that he followed him on the way. He followed him on the way. Because our faith, when I perform an action of faith, which has come from the inward part of my heart, which you can see that Bartimaeus... It had to be unknown to him at some point in the past that the Messiah could heal him. That the Messiah wasn't just a political or military leader, but the Messiah could actually do something for him. So if that's the case, would you also not put your life on the line and say, hey, I need something from you, Messiah. I need something that nobody else can give to me. I need something. And when that thing is given, we often do this, well, that's a coincidence. No, it was God answering the prayer because God's answer for you is always yes. (gasps) That's not what I was taught, Father. I was taught God says yes, no, and this isn't right the right time. His answer is always yes. But here's the thing. Here's the caveat. Do we have the faith to be persistent? Notice what he says. He cries out. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Have pity on me. We ask God for something and we don't get it. We're like, no, the answer must be no. But if it's a desire on my heart, then he must have given me that desire. Where did you get your desire to eat food? Did you just create that yourself? Nope. Did you, where'd you get your desire to drink water or any sort of drink? You're, you create it yourself. You wake up and you're like, I think I'm going to have a desire today to drink water or other stuff. All your heads are in the gutter. That's right. No, we don't create the desire. It's already been given to us. It's part of our humanity. So when I have a desire for something, it means it has to have come from somewhere. Where does it come from if not God? And St. Therese says this, God will never give us a desire that he does not intend to fulfill. So if your desire is for reunification with your family, if your desire is to be healed from cancer, if your desire is to be freed from anxiety or depression, God will give you the yes. 
Now we say, it may not be in the way that I want. That's true, but his answer is yes. So it's not about God conforming to my, my understanding of what I want from him. It's about me conforming to how he answers it, yes. Because his answer is always yes. There's more to learn. If we're not getting that answer that we're looking for right away, then there's more to learn about God. It's not about what I'm doing wrong and I, I, I screwed this up and it's my fault that God's not answering me. Er, wrong. God is wanting to say yes. There may be doubts, disbeliefs. There may be some blocks in my heart that prevent me from hearing his yes or seeing his yes. So there's always more to learn about him. Don't you ever quit trying to learn more about him. But how do we learn most about him? In the intimacy of our heart. In the privacy of prayer. Because when I learn about him, then I take him to others. And others get to experience the same goodness that I experienced. We have a great gift today. We're, in just a moment, we're going to have some of our members of our RCIA class who we've been journeying with for six weeks. They felt some invitation by Jesus to discover more, to learn more about the faith. Whether or not they're, they're totally in or bought in, that's not, that's not our question at the moment. But it's a process of learning and discovery of truth. So we're going to call them forward in just a moment to say some prayers with them as they begin this process of discovery for themselves. But let's all pray together for just a moment. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I ask, I ask forgiveness for all the doubt, disbelief, resentment, bitterness, hardship in my life that I have used as a block to receiving the gift of faith that you desire to give, that you've already given in baptism, that has yet to be unpacked, unsealed, unwrapped, as the gift from God. And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that that faith would be re-enkindled within us, that faith given to us at baptism, that faith that you are pouring into our hearts at this moment, that we would experience a newness of freedom to live the life that you've called us to live, not just some theoretical good life, but a life lived in radical conformity to the love that we encounter in prayer. So first, Jesus, we ask that you would draw us Make us yearn for prayer. That there, whatever prevents us from prayer, make us yearn for prayer so that from the prayer we may experience and discover who you are. And in discovering who you are, we may proclaim that truth to others. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.